0: Margin Call is the podcast that gives you behind-the-scenes access to the ups and downs of working in the Forex CFD industry. We interview the people that keep the show on the road, giving you insight into what makes the industry tick. The series is guest hosted by myself, Jordan Michaelides, and produced by the team at Neural Media. To learn more, visit gomarkets.com slash podcast. That's G O. M-A-R-K-E-T-S dot com slash podcast or take a look at the Go Markets suite of products at gomarkets.com. Go Markets is a derivatives broker and Jordan Michaelides is the managing director of Neural Media. All opinions expressed by Jordan and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of GoMarkets, an AFSL license holder. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for financial decisions nor as an indication of future performance. Clients of Go Markets may hold positions in the derivatives mentioned. A financial services guide and product disclosure statement for our products are available at gomarkets.com. My guest this week, David Scott, uh, anchor at Ozbiz TV, former Global Markets and Economics editor at the Business Insider and of course former treasury dealer at multiple organizations. We've just been chatting about isolation. Well, not so much isolation, but lockdowns. Uh, you were saying that it's, what, around 16% or so capacity at uh, at Barangaroo, I think, where you are at the moment. I did a tour of some corporate offices probably June, or maybe it was even May, once we sort of came out of that first lockdown. And I remember thinking commercial real estate is delusional at the Mm -hmm. moment what's your sense on commercial real estate based on what you're seeing do you think that people's pricing and behaviors should change in the next six months
1: i suspect so i think that the way that we did things pre-covid when it came to the office environment has changed forever uh in my job i get to interview a lot of smart people a lot of people who are with skin in the game as well and they pitch both sides of the view but We've been talking about working from home for months now and I see no evidence, particularly around here in Sydney where I am and not just around Barangaroo but elsewhere, that there's no great rush to go and get people back. We speak to numerous people from the big four banks, almost all of them are still working from home and those that do come into the city are on a rotational basis. Now, you're going to think from an economics perspective, are they really going to go and try and increase their footprint of uh, office space to go and accommodate for, uh, for social distancing? Uh, these no. businesses that are profit-driven, profit, profit driven, <laughs> I cannot see for the life of me that they're actually going to go and do that. It means that the things that we've seen that over the past few months, I believe, will become common nature in the years ahead will be where you can work from. Uh, as long as you've got the ability to go and do your job remotely, you'll be allowed to do so.
0: Do you think that or are there things that you've missed as part of that standard? I mean, obviously, you're in the studio regularly as an anchor, but i, I that's something I've spoken about with other guests, like what we all slingshot back. And some people have made the argument that, you know, we like that social contact and there will be people who crave being back in an office.
1: Oh, I, I absolutely love being around people. I love having a chat. I love having a beer after work on a Friday. It's uh, it's something that uh, is part of ingrained in my culture from um uh, way back at the uh, the banking side of things too. the way here. I love to go and have that interaction, go and uh, have the choice to go to restaurants uh, go and catch up with people. I do miss that. I do have the opportunity to go and hang out with all my crew here at Osby's. Uh Everyone is still in the office. We're all, I don't know, close-knit. We've become even more close-knit uh, over these past few months given the circumstance that we're all dealing with. But uh, I do miss that social interaction, uh, even just across the entire city. It is uh, it's like a ghost town here in Sydney. Although we're not under lockdown conditions, we might as well be because so many places are shut down at the moment. Uh, you try to get something for lunch, you go walk around. Either the places are closing down at like 1.30 uh, because there's right. literally no demand there or the places don't open at all. They're all still shut down.
0: Really? is there many of your, like, cause one thing that's happened here is obviously everyone's pivoted towards takeaway. And I mean, to here locally, you just have to, otherwise you, you're, you're basically shutting down completely or you're going to go broke. And everything has to, of course, be shut by 8 pm for physical takeaway. So you can still do takeaway on your apps with pickup and all that sort of stuff. Um, have you noticed businesses or locals that have pivoted well in this environment?
1: Oh, I, I, so I live around uh, Sorry Hills in Sydney here. So uh, lots of uh, no, foodie joints, lots of bars and everything else. Uh, I've noticed that a lot of places to go and deal with it uh, have gone and pivoted to becoming like small grocery stores and everything else. Uh, You talked about, uh, you know, delivery, Uh, food delivery is manic here in Sydney at the moment. Uh, I can't go more than 100 metres without nearly getting knocked over by an Uber Eats uh, delivery rider or something (laughs) like that. Uh, Always, I know, scooting around here, there and everywhere. There are so many people out there at the moment. Uh, obviously people can't go out. People are afraid to go out. Um, there's also a lot of people, unfortunately, who have been displaced in their previous jobs. So they're looking for, uh, for work at the moment who are willing to go and do that as well. So it seems to be feeding into each other, this process of uh, of the food delivery. Uh, once again, one of those things potentially that could go and change the way we do things forever.
0: What, what do you, like you're in Surrey Hills. So east, Eastern suburbs, what's your sense of the vibe there at the moment? Like, in the last week or so, I've noticed, and this is before the stage four lockdown, how much this second lockdown was impacting us locally, just at a a very micro level. Just at my local grocer or cafe, the 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 grocer, you know, they they would normally have this array of chocolates from certain brands, and they've just mm. stopped restocking them, and they're just leaving what's currently there, and they're all the ones that people don't want to buy, so they're just waiting for everyone to buy it until they go place that next order and then you've got like uh at the cafe you can sort of tell that the owners their mood has really changed um but i think in this week in particular people have shifted to being more positive but i guess being melbourne we're always ahead of the curve with (laughs) these sort of things in fashion uh (laughs) with our lockdown so what's what's your sense of the the mood in sydney at the moment
1: There's a couple of of different levels. So from an economics and financial perspective, because of what's been going on with the stimulus payments that have been going through, everyone talks about we're in recession. That's going to be the deepest recession since the Great Depression. Uh, But it doesn't feel like a recession. Yeah. Uh, That's the weird thing that I've come across. And I don't think it's just because of my my social group or anything like that. People have, have still got pretty good levels of cash flow coming through. So people are kind of behaving like they would, but we talk about, oh no, the recession, like it's almost past tense, but it hasn't actually gone and really hit us yet. But the one thing that I noticed this week, and it coincided with the hard lockdown that was put into place in Melbourne and uh, in various parts of Victoria as well, is that there has been a degree of, I can see and sense people getting scared again. I can see people wearing masks around the street, far more prevalent than what it was in the past. Uh, people are really going out of their way to go and socially distance. Another thing, like one of those anecdotal things that I see in the morning, I get the bus in. Uh, previous weeks, there were slowly starting to go and build up with more and more people who were getting the bus into work. And after what happened in Melbourne, what's happened is they said, okay, you can see the numbers just dissipating on yeah. the transport as well. So it is definitely impacting the psychology of what's going on. Look, in New South Wales, and like Touchwood, hopefully this remains the same way, we've had 11 cases here new today. We've had 12 the previous three days to that. So there's been no exponential growth there. It's still in the community. We recognize that. But it hasn't actually changed for weeks. But the sense, the tone I've got this week is that people are far more concerned. I won't say scared, but definitely there seems to be a far greater level of concern out there right now than what we've mm. seen previously.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned about the bus. Um, I'll come back to that in a moment. And I think the recession, you're totally right. It's, it's, it's psychologically a recession, but it is it's, it's weird. It's not what 2008 was. It's very different. Um, and I do wonder if that means that there is still potential for somewhat of a slingshot back with people uh, maintaining household savings. But I, I also know that um, if you go read or listen to the Martin Norths of the world, you'll see that households are very much financially under pressure as, a, as an aggregate. Um, on the point of the bus, it's really interesting. I saw somewhere in the, uh, the Australian finance subreddit or might have been coronavirus down under that there was a, a few anecdotal references to used car sales. Someone was mm-hmm. selling a land cruiser and and they'd seen that the market had increased prices on average by like 30, 40%. So they were selling that same land cruiser. Uh, you know, they, this is a person who's a used car salesperson for like roughly 30 to, to 40% more, which is really interesting. So I wonder if they're that's permeated into the way the behaviors that we have people, would still be going into work, but instead of taking the bus, they're going in by car. Absolutely. Um, so that that will be interesting to see what the long-term effects will be on social behaviours and, again, going back to that office environment, whether it sticks. I want to pull back to many moons before coronavirus and talk about your early career. You've got quite the uh, extensive industry acumen. Um, <laughs> we mentioned before treasury dealing, I think you were at Comsac, uh, Comsec Arab Bank. Uh, you worked in ASX operations for a while as well. And then you pivoted to more of the editorial side because I, I found about out about you probably when you're at the Business Insider. Um, yeah. I did a few interviews for a company I, I, I worked for um, in the crypto and FX space. And uh, yeah, it was probably maybe four years ago that I, that I learned about you via Twitter. And now you're at OzBiz. Um, with a little stint in between there at uh, the Sydney Morning Herald, I think it was. Yes. So what, what was your mindset like when you're in treasury and dealing land and, and moving to more of the commentary side?
1: Well, it was a really interesting time. So that was the uh, early days of quantitative easing. So we came through the uh, great financial crisis, the global financial crisis, the European debt crisis had come and gone. And it was basically peak uh, central bank intervention, well, at least until what we have seen now. And uh, so I was basically a spot trader. I'd go and, uh, and, and dealt in uh, FX, uh, G10FX, a little bit of rates, but all the volatility that allowed me to go and do well during the, uh, the GSC and those, those periods that, that followed, it all died down. And um, right. I got tapped on the shoulder eventually by Arab Bank. I don't hold that against them in the slightest. It was very difficult uh, to go and justify increasing limits to a certain point to go and try and maintain that level without taking on too much risk. But uh, what happened? So uh, I was uh, sitting at home, I was trading by myself and uh, Paul Colgan, who I got to go and do a lot of stuff with previously, uh, a business insider, editor-in-chief there, he uh, he got in touch with me and was asking to pick my brains on, is there anyone out there who you think would be a good fit for this particular job? It wasn't actually me that, uh, that came about. <laughs> and I was giving him all these suggestions about people who would uh, not go and fit the build and everything else. Uh, in the end, we came to uh, you know, a bit of a negotiation, a negotiation, a cool option per se when it came to know uh, my remuneration how I'd going to be rewarded if I came across and, uh, and changed uh, and pivoted career and uh, made the decision to go and try something new test myself out and uh, business decided it happened uh, and then wow what a journey four years of absolute uh, mayhem and chaos. Uh, loved every second of it great team but uh, that's, uh, that's how it came about. it was uh, one of those career paths things where I really didn't decide yeah. it. Uh, fate decided it for me.
0: Why do you think or what in, in terms of your personality do you think really lended to market commentary?
1: Uh, I was lucky enough to have some really good tutors in my uh, in my financial career. Uh, a lot of smart uh, guys and girls who taught me the various ways about things worked and done uh, the mechanics behind how markets moved, how economics moved into the you know, strategy side of things, moved into the trading side of things. So, I got that and then that allowed me to go and also express an opinion. And uh, one thing I'm not afraid to go and do <laughs> on occasions is to go and express a view on certain things, yeah. uh, particularly when it comes to financial markets and economics. It's, uh, it's, whilst I'm not not trying to go and be, pretend that I'm an expert in any of these I uh, know fields uh, to the level of absolute specialist, uh, I think I've been doing it long enough now to be able to have a say in, uh, I, I really enjoy it. Uh, some people they uh, like it. Some people uh, don't like it, but that's what carrots are market. So you've yeah. got to have you got to have two sides to every story.
0: Well, it explains a lot. You know, you mentioned before that you like uh, the social aspects of work, being able to have a beer with staff and team members afterwards, or or go out afterwards. And I, I thought I was very similar. I was I sat on a trading desk, and then I moved more into the commentary side of things. Mm. For me, it was always sort of the. Um, Probably just the banter aspect. I just really enjoyed uh, ideas and discussing them more than anything. And uh, trading while fun and uh, always remunerates really well. I don't know. I just always found it quite after a while a bit stagnant. So it's it's interesting you say that. I think um, is there any like particular principles that you have for how you look at a set of problems in the market or the market in general, like? when you come to your approach on any topic commentating, do you always have a higher level approach or do you want to just give an opinion based on that particular topic? How do you sort of view things?
1: Look, uh, I always take a macro approach. That's my strength. And then I can go and drill down. If it gets to a a niche area that I'm not an expert at, I'm happy to go and tap my network and say, speak to the people who I trust, who I know are experts in that field and get their views on it. And that will go and help formulate uh, the the basis that I'll come to. Uh, Not necessarily mean that I'll completely agree with what they say all the time, but just to go and get some insight as to how the mechanics of things work. Because anyone who tells you out there that they have an inkling of knowledge of, say, even 5% of financial markets is lying to you. Uh, no <laughs> one out there, not even the best investors in the world, have 5% of knowledge of how financial markets function as an entirety. If you've got a couple of percent, you're in the absolute one percental group.
0: Who do you think then has really informed your own basis of principles? Like I, I find myself often leading to... like, I really like... Um, probably Ray Dalio. Um, I do really like Charlie Munger, um, mm-hmm. Buffett's business partner, and probably probably Howard Marks as well. So I do, I read a lot of their stuff, whether it's memos, annual reports, books on them, et cetera. And a lot of that has built my own view of the world. Do you have anything or anyone in particular like that?
1: I do read a lot of those things. like you know Howard Marks' memos. I always go and get delivered <laughs> into my inbox from uh, from LinkedIn. It's uh, always great because they have that patience. And that's one of the things I think as time progresses as an investor, yeah. you learn to go and play the long game. Whereas when you first start off, I think that you've got this natural instinct that you've got to prove yourself and try and you know, win everything. Of course, being a trader, being an investor, you do not win every time. In fact, when I was trading, I lost most of the time, to be honest. That's uh, that's how it works in this game. Uh, you go and... Stick with the uh, the winners, cut the losers. That's a, that's a principle. But to be honest, a lot of uh, the insights that I've gathered over my career and the inspiration I get comes to speaking to that network that I've built up over the time. I have been lucky that so many of the people who, when I started off in finance, are still there. Uh, lots of really smart minds. And we're talking about the creme de la creme of what you can go and get here in Australia in terms of financial minds, whether it's economists, strategists, traders, and the like. Uh, without name dropping a whole few, like, no, there's... there's <laughs> plenty of people who I've dealt with in the past yeah. and people who I will naturally go to for, uh, for advice. It's, it's common courtesy. I mean, I, I know that I'm not going to try and be an expert in every single matter uh, that comes across. That's why you've got to go and have those people out there to go and, and tap, tap, to go and get that information. Uh, Because if you don't go and uh, open yourself up to go and learn from others, then uh, you're probably shooting yourself in the foot when it comes to being a market commentator, being an anchor at Ausbiz, uh, being a trader. You're going to go and uh, and give give yourself a disservice if you don't go and uh, and use those people
0: around you who you know are experts in a particular field. Mm. What did you think you were going to be when you were growing up?
1: Oh, good question. I was uh, doing a lot of uh, tourism subjects at uni and everything else. So I thought I'd go and work in the tourism industry. So really? that, was, uh, that was initially, I thought it was great to go and maybe run a resort somewhere. And I, I've been tra- <laughs> lucky enough to go and travel the world as a kid with my parents and uh, got to go to a nice sort of resorts around the place. And I thought, you know, I've got a pretty good mass brain. I've got a pretty good mind to go and uh, try and organize things. Maybe that's something I'll do. And then I uh, just happened to be at 2001, uh, September 11 happened, yeah. unfortunately, and uh, that put an end to that and happened to go and coincide with interest rates being dropped to rock bottom and the start of uh, what was at the time one of the biggest bull markets of, uh, of history and uh, kind of naturally fell into financial markets. That's, uh, that's how it all ended up for me. But wow. when I first started off, uh, finance was always something that I found interesting. I was uh, you know, investing in stocks when I was 16 years old. Uh, even earlier, actually, I actually think from sixteen. but, uh, I always found that interesting how it all works back then. I was absolutely novice behind the years and I uh, had no real idea. It was a trial and error, but that's how it started off. I think was the, uh, the ASX share market game. Actually, I think yeah. I still run it now. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, they, they still, they still on, do on Minotaur it. Minotaur resources, Minotaur yeah. resources, uh, certainly well, they, they, uh, <laughs> discovered, uh, some, uh, some, uh, deposits that they mine there and, uh up and away. And so I did pretty well in that competition
0: from memory. Oh, that game is still going. Um, it's actually quite amazing how that thing is still running. Uh, I, yeah, I remember doing it at uni. Everyone would talk about it at uni. It's like, Oh, have you have heard this, uh, ASX game. You can win X amount of dollars. Um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Did you, so you mentioned before about resorts, like were your parents always working in resorts
1: no, so we were just lucky to go. like my, my dad worked very hard. We were lucky to go and travel around, lots of uh, lots of places. I got to see uh-huh. a lot of the world when I was younger. And um, I just uh, know there's a lazy place in, in Phuket or maybe uh, Fiji or something like that. And I always thought, you know. Mix the best of both worlds. You now live in a resort, manage a resort, you know, have to get the lifestyle aspect. But uh, that was a that was a pipe dream at some point. But uh, it obviously didn't end up that way. I'm sitting here uh, talking here in Sydney, <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, I was <laughs> as a TV anchor. So that's uh, that's how life can go and, and do a 360. So uh, that's that's what it was at one stage. But uh, obviously didn't end on that path.
0: Is that permeated into a hobby at all? Because I'm a big. Um... I wouldn't say aficionado, but I really love uh, the ability, particularly running a business to get frequent fly points and finding places that I can go and en- enjoy, like in Thailand, sitting on the beach somewhere. Uh, have, have you sort of turned that into a l- little hobby at all or are you too committed to the finance game?
1: Uh, look, I don't mind. I don't mind travel. To be honest, I, uh, there was the uh, the annual trip to uh, to Europe for a few years uh, in a row. There, I'm. I'm missing the uh, the opportunity to go and travel this year, as so many mm. other people are out there as well. But uh, yes, I did make it to uh, to platinum frequent flyer status with Virgin. What that's going to be worth now, I'm not too sure. But uh, <laughs> Bank Capital, if you're listening out there, make sure you go and look after us here, <laughs> who were loyal
0: in the past. Now let's um let's talk about Oz Biz. What's that been like so far? You've been there for. Or since the start of the year, yeah. So I joined
1: uh, in uh, early April. No, April. Early May, should I say? So it's uh, so I've been on board now for just on three months. So it's uh, a steep learning curve. I've never done any TV. I'm still definitely not a polished product. You can probably tell from the uh, <laughs> the podcast, the videocast uh, quality here that I'm still a work in progress. But uh, the team is fantastic. Uh, such a great idea. We get to get tap access access to uh, know, really, really smart minds from all different fields out there, whether it's corporates, whether it's no strategists, economists, uh, politicians even, it gives you a real gamut of know, ability to go and reach out and touch them, talk to these people and, uh, and get a whole bunch of ideas and help fuel the debate, which is healthy in, uh, in a democracy such as Australia.
0: Do you, have you found things during uh, COVID for the business? Like obviously short-term media requests would have, massively spiked i think uh there's only a few industries and media being one of those that has really boomed during this period although we know i know coming from the creative and agency game that ad spend on things like papers and so forth are quite down um even on some i think google was down eight uh, percent in ad spend mm. uh, i was reading on Mum, Mumbrella the other day what's the last few months been like for the business have you gotten a sense of what that's been like in the short time you've been there
1: I'm not privy to all information, but uh, I've been uh, made aware that uh, we're on a way tracking to where we wanted to go and be, even without the coronavirus being around. So uh, I know that our users are growing, our streams are growing, our, our time our listening to, and watch is uh, is also growing. So it's all about now building the presence. We are not doing any marketing spend whatsoever at this point really? in time. It's all organic. And wow. uh, we don't see the need to do that. Uh, we've got people like you know, David Kosh, obviously an investor and obviously someone who appears in the program as well. Uh, all those things feed into each other. Myself, I've got a fair uh, fair presence in uh, in social media circles or at least when it comes to Twitter. <laughs> and that's how it's done. But uh, it's uh, at this stage, uh, we're growing nicely. Uh, we're getting more and more reach. We're getting the ability to go and attract those people who maybe in the early days we wouldn't go and get the opportunity to go and speak to so i'm really excited the uh the prospect working with a bunch of really experienced people as well who have been in the tv game for such a long period of time it helps when you're going to pivot your career because this is something that no only no, four or five months ago i had no idea that i would be doing i wouldn't Didn't think I'd be speaking to you as a TV anchor at As I was uh, sitting there at the uh, Sydney Morning Herald covering markets there. That's what I was doing. And all of a sudden, uh, life changes once
0: again. Well, I was surprised you made the switch. What What was your mentality like at the time? How did this one come about? Did you pitch yourself again?
1: It was the opportunity to go and challenge myself and, uh, and learn a new skill set. Uh, it was just one of those things where the opportunity arose really quickly. It was a tough decision. I know for a lot of journalists out there, the uh, opportunity to go work at a publication such as the Sydney Morning Herald is one of those things where you, it's a dream. You would love to go and be there. It was a, But at this stage, it's like, well, it's a startup mentality. And the one thing that attracted me to Ausbiz as well was that when I first joined BI, it was very much a startup environment. Although obviously yeah. a much bigger brand in the United States and elsewhere, it was that really tight-knit group of people, and you're all pulling in the same direction to go and achieve a goal. And that was one of those selling points. And uh, not for a second do I regret my decision. I've still got a lot of good, fr- uh, good friends at the, uh, the Herald, everything else. Uh, but uh, I'm really glad that I made the truth.
0: It's a very. I was chatting to um, Chris Gore, uh, former CEO of Go Markets, recently. And uh, he used to do a lot of commentary on Sky News and we, we were just chatting about it over a drink and we were like, you know, it's, it's, it's about time that there was something branded similar to this and in the platforms and the way that it's broadcast it makes a lot of sense. Um, going, you know, when you look at Sky News, a lot of that stuff is all cable related. You need cable access. Um, whereas this is, it reminds me a lot of what KO has done for for me as a footy fan. It's really changed that access point of view. So it's really exciting. I, I've, I've enjoyed uh, watching it. I've noticed a few more places now because a lot of our clients are in the finance space. Mm-hmm. There's more places that are starting to have this. You know how you go into some workspaces and they've got Sky News on the TV? Well, I've seen a little bit of Oz Biz recently, which is very interesting considering it's such a new product. Wow. Um very happy to hear that. Yeah, so it's been it's been quite interesting, and some people actually put the two next to each other on different screens, which is uh, which is always interesting. Look, we've spoken to a few guests recently, and the producers of the show want to get each guest's sense of this. At the moment, the biggest thing, particularly for a lot of people who listen, who are sort of in um, that millennial generation, there's not been much of a, an investment opportunity over the last few years, and COVID, while absolutely horrendous, is an opportunity. Like it, we, I know that from uh, March, even just the opportunity presented in the market. So, I guess from your perspective, how have you thought about the opportunities in the market over the next few months? Are you the type that is saying, I want to see what actually happens when some of these things come to reality in, say, September to December? Or are you the type that, um, has has looked at the market and gone, I'm going to snap up these opportunities when they're there.
1: When there's opportunities there, you go and take them. It's always good to go and have some and uh, spare cash flow or the ability to go and tap a, a debt facility of some description. Uh, to go and do that. But one thing that we know for certain, it's going to be, you know, a, in place for years, if not decades, is easy monetary policy uh, from central banks. That is not going to change. We know what's going on yeah. with bank balance sheets. We know what's going on with uh, with M2 growth at the moment. When you put those together and you look at what's going on in the environment, when you're going to see a situation where central banks globally are going to go and keep their foot to the absolute floor when it comes to you know, trying to pump out as much stimulus as possible for such a long, prolonged period of time, that is only ever going to go and benefit asset classes. In particular, physical assets are one area that I think is going to benefit. When you can't go and replicate something, you can't just go and digitally create it. something like uh, you know, is one where I think at the moment when you yeah. go and look at various areas, there are some places that are obviously very expensive around this country. There's some places around the world that are obviously really expensive as well. But uh, you look at that, it, good property in a good location, uh, not necessarily in one of the big capital cities as well now. You go to places like that and think, well, money's going to be free for a long period of time. There's going to be a lot of demand to go and work remotely. There's going to be the change of situation where people who have the opportunity won't be working in an office. They'll be working from home in the lifestyle aspect. So to me, one of those things is uh, no, yeah. good property, Not just any property, but good property. Doesn't necessarily have to be residential as well, to be honest. You also look at other things as well. You've seen gold has gone uh, to the moon the last couple of weeks. Fresh record highs in US dollar terms, I think, today as well. It may fit hit uh, fresh highs in Aussie dollar terms as well again. So things like that, which there's a finite supply of. A finite supply of things are desirable. That's the kind of assets that I'll be looking at. Uh, In the stock market, you've got to look at things where a company which has got a good balance sheet, and to be honest, in the environment we're about to go and enter, there's so much uncertainty. Yes, there's some, uh, some shooting stars out there, some gross stocks that get a lot of headlines, a lot of publicity because of the sheer uh, pace of their share price growth. But you want a company where it's got some kind of background and it's got yeah. the ability to go and withstand what we're going to go and see the next uh, next few quarters, which is going to be some pretty tough times if we start seeing this stimulus pull back.
0: Yeah, we'll chat about that in a sec, but I think um, I, I'm – uh, I found it really interesting. I don't know if you'd noticed this on Twitter. You've got sort of that that skeptic element of the finance Twitter where mm. um, there's people who are gold bugs or whatever. And there's a lot of people that are surprised by what has happened in property. Now, prices have come down, but I think people expected the market to crash more or at least crash. Um, and I, my perspective on it has changed in the last month because it's starting to make a lot more sense to me. If, if you've got an environment where money is the cheapest it's ever been, people realise that and want to go get a house or get a bigger house if they can afford it. Mm. But there's less stock being built, as well. Mm. Um, so we're sort of in this weird, perplex situation because people are drawing stock off the market because they don't want you know the risk of selling in a supposed down market or getting infected people in their house or whatever that psychology may be, but then you've got super cheap money. Um, and I just heard this this estate agent in LA talking about it because obviously the, the US is the king of printing money. Um, so that has that really, really changed my mind a lot on that. Um, on the the economy, you mentioned dark times. I think, uh, I don't know if we were chatting this beforehand, but unemployment, I think that they were talking about some of the prospective figures today, um, or at least I saw Josh Frydenberg talking on Sky News earlier, uh, we're probably looking at 10% unemployment. And I think he was saying that real unemployment is probably like 15 or 16%. Retail in Victoria is nothing now because they're not allowed to be open. Uh, how do you see these headwinds impacting the economy over the next few quarters and i want you to think about it granularly because all the times we look for sound bites and say oh well there's going to be a recession in the next year but i feel like there are certain key things that are going to happen it's the change in job keeper in september it's christmas period where things always slow down um it's that build up that initial build up to easter next year i guess how are you starting to to think about this at a more micro level
1: Yes. Uh, it's a really interesting and, and difficult this question to go and answer, to be honest, because there's so much uncertainty out there. But the one thing I know that uh, when it comes to recessions, we talked about the unemployment rate. We know that the unemployment rate has been basically uh, artificially held low by what's going on with JobKeeper at the moment. We know the classifications that ABS is using. It's not the only mm-hmm. body out there around the world that's going and doing this to go and try and keep a lid on the official unemployment rate, which is obviously much higher in many places. But uh you look at any circumstance over uh, any period of time when it comes to a recessionary period over time, often what happens is the initial shock takes place, unemployment starts spiking very quickly. We're seeing that here already in this occasion. And then every single time, and you look across eons, you look across any jurisdiction, any place around the world, and it takes years for things to return to pre, uh, pre-crisis levels or pre-recessionary levels. And given what we've been going through here in Australia, I think that we already were struggling prior to this uh, this COVID crisis. We had very sluggish economic growth. A lot was made of population growth. And when it came to looking at GDP per capita, people would go and point out all the time that, uh, hey, look, if you go and remove uh, population growth, we're already in a a, a per capita growth recession. Uh, We looked at retail sales. All those kind of things were going pretty bad. Even though no, the property market had boomed so much, we'd seen so much debt taken on, that had gone and brought so much demand forward that I think that the policymakers out there, including the RBA, were really struggling to go and stimulate the economy, going and get enough momentum going. Now we've got this in the mix, we've been obviously thrown a whole bunch of stimulus that's been put out of this, uh, whether it's lower interest rates, fiscal stimulus in particular, it's been a massive play. But that's going to go and come to an end. At some point, the same levels that we've seen previously are going to go and stop. A lot of these businesses that have been put on the ice, per se, are going to go and fail, unfortunately. There's a lot of marginal businesses that are already out there that are never going to come back. That's people who are going to be unemployed. So the one thing I know with any certainty is that even if we get a vaccine tonight, if we wake up tomorrow morning, fantastic news. We're all going to go and be able to go get a shot in the next few months and go get back to normal. It will still take years. And the biggest concern that I have is that people younger than, than I am, so we're talking about uh, those who are about to go and enter the labour force in particular. We already know that youth underemployment was yeah. way too high, um, unacceptable levels. And unfortunately, it's going to be a lot of those people, I think, who are going to suffer the most. That leads to a whole rabbit hole of areas when it comes to uh, income inequality, asset inequality as well. But that's for, another, that's for another day to go and discuss. But that's going to be an issue that we're going to be dealing with for a very, very long time, unfortunately.
0: Well, if you were, I've been asking people this question. If you were made treasurer overnight, what would the next 90 days look like for you?
1: Ooh, that's a very good question. Uh, so what they need to go and do is they need to go and give people confidence. They need to go and stick with policy settings and not go and flip and flop all the time. The best approach for me is to go and at the moment is to overstimulate. You'd rather go and deliver too much stimulus than not enough. If you right. go and pull back too early, uh, then you run the risk that you're going to go and prolong a really serious downturn. Unfortunately, the government, as much as they want to go and, and they were talking about you know, bringing you back in black and all that kind of stuff when it came to the uh, to the budgetary position that was supposed to be uh, for the last financial year, that's gone out the window because this is the option that they've got to go and face. Either you go and stimulate and you overstimulate now and you go and prevent absolute collapse in, uh, in the labour market no, massive unemployment or you pull back now and you watch that go and do the same thing. So you'll see unemployment spike higher, you'll see recessionary conditions and you'll still end up with a massive budget deficit. One way or another, you're going to go end up with a budget deficit. So you need to go and support the labor market now because that will mean that the trough will be far lower and you can actually start the organic process where the private sector can go and start taking over. So three months, what they're going to do, they've got to keep their foot to the floor and keep pumping money out. That's what they need to do. Mm.
0: It's interesting because that's something you're you're talking about with that longer term impact. And it's, it's something that traders are really aware of. Like for every 10% you lose, you have to make back uh, something like 15 or 20% to even break even mm. um, and get back to that original dollar point. And I think that's sort of how people need to start thinking about it is you've got to prevent those losses because your average person can't minimize risk as well as, say, the financial sector. So, yeah, I, I can sort of see where you're coming from there. And to me, it makes a lot of sense. I, I know as a business owner, I just want the government to instill confidence. I think the biggest issue for me, at least here locally, has been while they're communicating really well from a updates perspective day-to-day The problem is that no one really understands what the end game is. Like I I have these debates with friends when we catch up on zoom calls, what's the end goal here? Like, is it a vaccine? Uh, is it a therapeutic? When do we start making decisions around, uh, the financial implications versus the health implications? And I, I don't know that anyone's actually the closest answer I've come to is that mask wearing is going to be mandatory and it's the only way to prevent longer-term infections than continual rolling lockdowns and openings up, where you have these spikes in cases and then coming back down again. Absolutely. Um, and that's that's I don't know what you think about that, but I I can't make sense of what the um what the end game is here.
1: Yeah, you would think that the way that's going in Victoria at the moment, that it's eradication, but I don't think it's really plausible at this stage. I don't think you are going to really eradicate this virus we're seeing elsewhere around the world. Unfortunately, they were talking about how they would go and lessen in summer months. Well, what we're looking at in the United States and now in parts of Europe again, uh, certainly uh, in uh, the northern uh, parts of South America, it's just absolutely rampant, isn't it? So it's going to be very difficult to go and completely eliminate the virus. I know that they've uh, had some pretty good success in New Zealand, but they went and managed the hotel quarantine very well, didn't they? Yeah. So, uh, that was when I look at, uh, when I look at everyone in Victoria and particularly in Melbourne, what you guys are going through at the moment, I'm just seeding that, uh, what happened with that uh, particular one uh, thing with the hotel quarantine, because this essentially is what has caused all of this sudden uh, mayhem at the moment. And, uh, it's going to be a very expensive uh, lesson for everyone here in Australia, but yeah, that's, um, going off tangent a little bit, but, uh, certainly, uh, we're going to have to go and learn with it to go and deal with it for the time being. We know that there's probably going to be some pretty good treatments out there at some point. There may not be a vaccine. We've had the discussions obviously that no coronavirus has actually got a proper vaccine at this point. So it looks like it's going to be a treatment side of things. I'm not a medical expert by any stretch of the imagination, but you look at things like the death rate per case that seems to be coming down globally. So already we've learned to go and know there's different ways we can go and do things to go and minimize the risks uh, but it's something that I think we're going to have to go and learn to live with. Doing what we're doing at the moment, rolling stoppages, you know, lockdown, reopen, lockdown, reopen. That's, uh, that is is just going to go and cause untold economic damage and is not the answer. So uh, all things being equal, we're going to have to go and learn, as you said, about mask wearing in particular. That might become mandatory. I think people in general sense, if they get concerned enough, they will going to do it themselves anyway. So I've mm. uh, already seen evidence of that here in Sydney at the moment. So it's going to be one of those tricky things to go and try and manage. I'm hopeful that there will be some sort of a solution that will come that will make it like a seasonal flu where of course it's going to go and impact some people more than others, but uh, it's not going to go and disrupt the economy to the point that we're all going to be, you know, sitting here uh, talking to you, Jordan uh, in your apartment and everything else, me in an empty uh, you know, city with, uh, with no one around me in an office. Hopefully it's not going to be the other way for the entire future.
0: What Um, Uh, We're going to sound like two grumpy old men at the end of this podcast complaining about the coronavirus, (laughs) but what do you see as any of the positives or potential positives over the next six to 12 months?
1: I do believe it's going to be an opportunity for us to go and reinvent us rather as a nation, uh, as our economy as well. I do believe that there's going to be opportunity to go and perhaps focus less on those things that uh, we did so well in the past that we all know about. We love the property market. We love mining. They've been two massive areas that I uh, know have benefited so much. But I think one of the, the lessons we've learned from uh, from this crisis is the supply chain issue. None yeah. of to say that global trade is absolutely dead and buried. It's certainly not. It will come back. Uh, political leaders will go and change, including in the uh, United States, at some point. When uh, when that we think about it, though, the ability to go and do value add supply chain and things along those lines, maybe make ourselves a more tech savvy nation as well. Uh, obviously there's going to be so much abundance of of labour out there at the moment when it comes to younger people in particular, lots of people who are highly educated and the like. I do have a lot of faith about uh, no, the way we'll be able to go and rebuild the economy, but what it takes from our policymakers is to make sure that we have the platform to go and do it. So when we do launch and we do go back to a you know, brighter days ahead, we can go and do it sooner and we can do it uh, without having to go and continually stimulate through uh, through public expenditure. Let the private sector go and do its work. Uh, it's worked so well for us in the past. It's no different than the uh, in the future.
0: All right. We need to jump into some rapid fire questions to finish things off. Um, it. So during this entire lockdown, what's your morning and evening routine look like?
1: I'm going to bed a lot earlier than in the past. Uh, really? I can, I can tell you that. Uh, obviously, I've been uh, streaming a lot of, uh, of Netflix and, uh, and Stan and everything else. I think everyone else out there is probably doing fairly similar things. When it comes to the morning side of things, uh, I still go up. I still get a uh, bit of exercise in. Generally, try and get a walk in when it's a bit warmer. I've not been doing that recently, but I'm always up really early in the morning. So, gets to like sort of 5.15, 5.30. I'm awake. I'm reading about what's going on, checking out what market movements have been doing. Uh, Checked. Donald Trump's uh, Twitter feed, you go and see uh, what he's been saying overnight, often so influential on what's going on, gives me a really good insight as to what to uh, to expect in the day ahead and then uh, into the office by about 7.30, quarter to eight and ready to roll.
0: You mentioned Netflix, Um, what have you been watching in terms of TV shows, docos, movies that's really caught your eye?
1: Funnily enough, the last thing I was actually watching, so this is uh, I think it was on Foxtel actually. I've worked out one of the Foxtel streaming services. I was watching now, uh, Becoming Warren Buffett. And that was the last thing I watched oh, a couple right. of months ago.
0: Yeah. Now is that a new is that the new Doco on Buffett? It's been made in the last two years or so?
1: I think so. A lot of the uh, figures seem to go and be like that. So it was a couple of years old, but uh, we so much, I know, talk about what's going on from a cyclical perspective. Uh, obviously, there's been so much talk about uh, gross stocks you Now, the tech stocks in particular. You mentioned Netflix, that's been one, but no, look at places like Tesla, Apple, Alphabet, all that kind of stuff being in the news every single day. But it's a good to remind you that uh, value investing out there in particular, there are some opportunities and there will be a cyclical term and that's when uh, those companies may go and uh, actually benefit. I was reading the other day that uh, I think it might've been Goldman Sachs was talking about about. this rally in the, uh, the tech stocks that we're seeing, it could be the, uh, the trigger to go and spark the sell-off, could be a vaccine or an effective yeah. treatment, could go and get everyone to go and change their views. And look, I actually agree with that as well. It makes perfect sense. Uh, Jordan, I'm sure you don't want to be sitting there all the time. I don't want to be like you no know, sitting here all the time. I want to be out socialising and enjoying life. So when, uh, when that virus vaccine or treatment comes, I'm sure people will be out at, uh, at the pub and uh, out know, uh, doing all the things they used to go and take for granted not too long ago.
0: Yeah, I um, just on the Warren Buffett docker, I've seen that docker. It's a brilliant documentary. Um, it's funny you mention Buffett because I bought some uh, Ber- more Berkshire shares overnight. I think they're trading at like 60 or 70% of book value, which to me just shows how ridiculous this market is. I remember during the um, uh, that March crash, I think Disney and um, obviously Amex, as amazing brands, went down massively. Uh, naturally people aren't going to be traveling as much anymore, but to the extent that they did, what seemed crazy. Then you look at these growth stocks and they were just out of control. Mm. Um, I think I sold out of most of my Apple shares, but still maintained a position. And, uh, I just remember seeing the price and thinking like who the, who's going to be buying as many iPhones. And lo and behold, the next quarter they were like just flat. They weren't mm. even growing. So, uh, yeah, I think you're really right on that, on that side of things. um, Last question for you. You have to pick one item. It's $200 or less, and it's really helped you during this lockdown period. And you, you may have bought it beforehand or during the period as well. What would it be and why? Oh, $200 or less, an item that's really benefited me. Um... And it can't be AirPods, too. I, I'll give you an example of mine. <laughs> we, we haven't been able to really go out. So I bought a bunch of booze to get like a proper bar. And I think the best purchase I made was getting a proper jigger to measure out the, uh, the spirit level. Cause I was using like a scale. I didn't actually have like a, you know, a pouring thing. So, and that was like $10. So that was a great purchase for me.
1: Uh, look, I'll be, uh, I'll probably go a little bit more simplified than that. Uh, look, to be honest, I've been spending so much time at home. Uh, my Ugg boots, no, they were, <laughs> they, were they were purchased well and truly before, but, uh, it's uh, not been the coldest winter here in Sydney, but I've got to say that, uh, you know, going to go and do your work around the house with your Ugg boots on, uh, it wasn't too bad an experience. So I'll, I'll say my Ugg boots really are the item under $200, which uh, have
0: really served me well in this period. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, David, mate, thank you for coming on um, and for giving us your time. Where can people find you on the interwebs?
1: So on the interwebs, uh, Twitter is where you predominantly find me. So my uh, handle is at Scotty, S-C-U-T-T-Y. S-C-U-T-T-Y. Uh, apart from that, every other day of the working week, you can see me here on ausbiz.com.au. Uh, that's uh, where I'm trying to go and do my best to work, but uh, a lot of very uh, talented people here helping me along for the ride. So check us out. Uh, it's a really great service. Uh, I know the ability to go and get free information about what's going on, what's driving markets, uh, and like so many other things out there, it's new technology, it's streaming. Uh, so no need to go and expend a, a whole bunch of money to go and get access to really bright minds.
0: Yeah, I, um, I would second that. I'm a big fan of Ausbeer's great branding for the market um, going along with that uh, hashtag, uh, but um, we'll make sure we, we link all of that in the show notes. But um, David, thanks for coming on.
1: It was great you going to go and, uh, have a chat and uh, to all the people down in uh, in Melbourne. You know, stay safe. Uh, no, we're all thinking. trust me, it's uh, not a not a scenario that we uh, would want to be in ourselves. Uh, hopefully, we can go have a beer one time soon.
0: Definitely. Thanks for listening to Margin Call. Before you run off, make sure you subscribe on your podcast app to get first access to new episodes, and consider sharing this with a friend who loves the forex CFD game. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube by searching GoMarkets. That's G-O-M-A-R-K-E-T-S. Until next time, thanks for listening.